But well, our natural inclination is to do what the boss asks, right? So, so you know, if we get a request from the CEO or CFO to do something, we're going to work pretty hard to make sure that happens uh, as quickly as they have requested it to happen. So you have to the CEOs, and I think in the C-suite, we have to make sure that we're communicating to our teams that it's okay to verify those requests. Uh, I'm not going to get upset if you call my office and ask me, you really ask me to make this payment and send out this wire. And so uh, I, I think it's important that we ensure that, that communication is open and that teams understand that that's okay. Welcome to CEO on the Go, the show about personal and professional growth for busy leaders like you. I'm Gail Lance. And I'm here to help you think differently, solve big problems, and inspire change. It's tough to do on your own and even with a team, but it is possible. So let's get started. Welcome to this episode of CEO on the Go, where leadership meets the unexpected today. We're diving into a topic that concerns every business leader, especially during the holiday season. It's fraud. Tis the season for scrutiny, but the truth is every season is a season for scrutiny. And you might be thinking, well, we've got all the controls in place, or maybe you're thinking, well, I don't think I'm really at risk compared to other executives or our business may not be uh, targeted compared to others. But the truth is fraud doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care if you're running a startup or a Fortune 500 company, it doesn't care if you've been in the game for decades, or if you're, you know, fresh face in the executive suite. Fraud can knock on anyone's door, especially during this time of year. Be sure to check who's there. Consider this episode a timely holiday gift. We'll unwrap the realities of fraud that every executive needs to know. Because you might be celebrating the holidays, but lurking behind the tinsel and the twinkling lights is a sobering reality the risk of fraud that can cast a shadow over your celebrations. So today we're peeling back the layers to reveal just how vulnerable CEOs are to fraud, especially during this season, and what you can do about it. So to help me do that, I have a great guest expert with me. His name is Jeff Taylor. Jeff has over 25 years in banking and insurance, and he's led various teams in the financial services sector over the years. His most recent role is focused on the impact of fraud on businesses, the importance of fraud education, and ways for businesses to protect themselves from fraud attacks. Jeff holds the designation of Certified Treasury Professional from the Association for Financial Professionals and is a recognized leader in the industry. He's currently a Senior Vice President in Corporate Banking Group Fraud Forensics at Regions Bank. Now, Jeff provides practical insights that could save your business from becoming a holiday statistic. The more you know, the better equipped you'll be to protect your company from the unexpected Grinches trying to steal your holiday cheer. So it's time to slay fraud. Enjoy my conversation with Jeff Taylor. Jeff, welcome to CEO On The Go podcast. I'm glad that you can be here today. We have a lot to talk about. Thank you so much, Gail. I really appreciate the opportunity and just looking forward to the conversation. 
Well, we're talking about fraud. And so that's a huge topic. I know when you and I spoke before the podcast, we just talked about, you know, what a big industry it is. And we have uh, listeners in the audience that represent large corporations, as well as small businesses, so we can get into that. Um, but I was just curious to know kind of what the size of the industry is now and, and what the impact is. So why don't we start there? Sure. So, I mean, the industry itself is huge. Um, and, and I think it's important to note, Gail, that it's highly organized also. It's not, uh, you know, a, a, a person in a hoodie in a basement. It, it's truly organized crime. And, and it's, uh, uh, it's, it's extremely prevalent you know, across the world, not just in the United States, but across the world. In a recent survey of financial practitioners, 65% of the companies that were surveyed responded that their business had been a victim of fraud. And 71% of those companies responded being a victim of business email compromise. Was that over a certain period of time or do you yeah, know? 20, 2022. Oh, okay. 2022. Yeah. During that time period. Of course, business email compromise is the number one fraud attack vector, but reported cases of ransomware are increasing. So we're seeing uh, a great deal more ransomware across the industry also. Yeah, I've had clients who've experienced that firsthand, unfortunately. In 2022, also, the website, it's the Internet Crime and Complaint Center, it's ic3.gov, recorded over 800,000 reports of fraud. Uh, internet fraud representing over $10.9 billion in losses. So that from a financial scope standpoint, gives you a sense of how big this is. And, and unfortunately, the numbers are growing and they're not going away anytime soon. Yeah. Well, I was curious to know if the size of the organization matters and some other people have asked that too. You know, So I was curious to know the likelihood of, say, a small business being targeted uh, versus a large corporation or you know, or if there's certain industries that are most vulnerable. Yeah, the unfortunate thing, Gail, is these criminals are completely indiscriminate. Uh, they don't care who they target. They don't care the the size of the business, the segment of the business. Anyone and any organization can become a victim. The large organizations tend to be targeted more frequently, but small business is not immune. I mean, they're still. Uh, they're still vulnerable because the fraudsters are looking for those vulnerabilities that they can exploit regardless of the size of the organization. Yeah, I think the natural instinct is a lot of people feel targeted. Like, what what about our organization did they see? And um, it, it's interesting to see that it's just the luck of the draw. Yeah. So the, the fraudsters are looking for vulnerabilities that exploit regardless of the organization size. So while the large organizations may be targeted more frequently, they typically have more robust controls in place. So the 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 dollars are smaller. They uh, attempt to uh, to penetrate a smaller company, but I think their success ratios are greater. So the you ask about yeah, you ask about the industries targeted yeah. more frequently. Yeah, who's who's the greatest risk? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> According to a lot of the surveys that I've seen. Uh, technology, media, and communications are the number one industry. Services is number two. And, and of course, that includes insurance companies uh, as well as, as uh, financial institutions. Health services, hospitals, uh, health organizations, retail and consumer businesses, and then government and public services. Hmm. Okay. So technology, media, and communications, financial services, health services, retail, and uh, government and public services. Those are the top five. 
So the obvious question is, what should they do? What should organizations do? Are there some best practices to help prevent fraud? I know everybody is concerned about it. So what are some of the key things that are best practices? There are three industry suggested practices I try in every presentation that I do and every conversation that I have, I try to to help understand these three. The first one is to guard your house. Uh, It's important that CEOs and businesses, their IT partners, to conduct a thorough IT assessment, understand where your vulnerabilities are. And then you want to create a schedule to regularly patch your networks and firewalls and making sure that you're applying those patches whenever they become available, your email platforms and implement functions like even things as simple as a banner at the top of the email to identify either coming from an external party. So then you want to require the use of strong passwords or passphrase when you are enabling your uh, your employees to access your platforms. And then, you know, you want to also utilize the fraud prevention products that are offered by your financial institution. Things like uh, if you're still writing checks, things like positive pay with payee name verification. Yeah, I know you and I talked earlier saying that checks are, are kind of on the way out now that most organizations don't prefer that type of, of payment. Is that am I recalling that correctly? Yeah, I think consumer side, we're we're seeing fewer checks being written, but businesses continue to write checks. Uh, it's just a simple part of their process. It's uh, while we always encourage that that clients convert those paper transactions over to an electronic alternative or a digital alternative, they're still writing checks. And and uh, the survey that I mentioned earlier, sixty three percent of the companies that responded to that survey indicated that they were victims of check fraud, and that checks were the 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 payment channel of choice for the fraudsters. And so you see this the the change in or the movement in uh, leaving checks and going to more digital alternatives, but checks are still being targeted by the fraudsters, and we're seeing a great deal of that. Uh, across the industry today in checks that are stolen from the mail. Mm -hmm. They're stolen Uh, from the mail. Checks, yeah, uh, counterfeit checks that are being created. Exactly. The the second practice we suggest is that you create an associate training program. So almost all commercial fraud begins with a phishing attack. So you have to recognize and avoid emails or text messages that deliver malware or have some, some reaction or required action that would enable uh, malware to be delivered into your system. And can you share a couple of specifics? Like what would that, what would some of those examples be? How would an employee be able to identify a phishing attack? Oftentimes you can see just if you read the email closely, uh, two things that you may recognize. One would be to, uh, to really look closely at the email address because what fraudsters like to do is to spoof an email address. So they'll change a letter, transpose a letter or replace uh, an L with a, with a one or an uppercase I uh, to try to, to convince the individual to that this email is actually legitimate. So you want to really be careful about those email addresses. And then secondly, is read the email thoroughly. Look for things like uh, misspelled words, sentence structures, things that just don't look right and, uh, and help you to try to recognize that uh, that these emails are, are or that the email or the text message is uh, uh, is not legitimate. You know, you'll look for things like urgency. This has to be done today. 
uh, I need for you to do this today, those kind of things. Yeah, seems like another no brainer would be slow down a little bit. We're all moving so quickly. And sometimes I know I'm guilty of just glancing at an email and hitting a button uh, without thoroughly reviewing it. So to just make sure you're slowing down and being more cautious. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's always important that employees think about that slowing down and recognizing those potential points of compromise because there it, it's it's harder and harder to do that. Gail, artificial intelligence is uh, is enabling fraudsters to create better text messages that are more difficult to to recognize. So you really have to develop this fraud awareness mindset to slow down and pay attention to what you're doing. Then thirdly, what we suggest is that the clients create a fraud risk and governance plan. This is particularly important for CEOs that that they document what their risk tolerances are because they can control this environment. They need to understand what the financial impact is of not having a plan because there's a financial impact. Um, They need to think about creating a vendor management plan, uh, understanding how your vendors are protecting and managing the data that you gave, allow them access to. Um, you want to de- document what your fraud response plan is going to be. You need to know who am I going to contact? Uh, how do I get in contact with them? And what are they going to do to help me when, uh, from that recovery standpoint? Um, and then, of course, reviewing your cybersecurity insurance coverage and establishing internal controls like multi-factor authentication to gain access to platforms, uh, things like least privilege access. Don't give everyone in the company access to portions of your platform that they don't need access to, but uh, give them capabilities to do what they need in order to to do their job. And then, of course, do a control for any payment originations, making sure you've got a second set of eyes on those payments. Yeah. I wanted to go back to a point you made about that number three, and you mentioned creating a a fraud response plan. And I remember you and I were talking about how many people might make the mistake of having their response plan, you know, electronically or something. If if, uh, everything goes down, right, if the whole email system goes down, then they can't even access the contacts that they need. So what remind me what your suggestion was there for organizations in terms of where they need to access actually keep uh, data in in those kinds of um, experiences? Well, there's a couple of different ways to do that. One is you can can store that information in a separate drive or a separate portion of your hard drive and a separate portion of your network. The, The easiest thing to do is, believe it or not, print it out and put it in your briefcase so that you've got a copy, a hard copy of that, and you've got a copy of all of the contact information of the individuals that are going to help you as far as your recovery is concerned. Because to your point, if your entire network is goes down and you're a victim of ransomware and your entire network is frozen, all of that contact information is likely going to be in the contacts in your laptop or uh, on your network. And so you've got to be able to get information uh, separate from or externally to your uh, your the network copies that you've got available yeah yeah good good tip um well i know that this episode is airing sometime during the holiday season and so i thought i have to ask what do we need to be thinking about during the holidays i'm guessing that you know it ramps up uh during the season so are there some specific tips or things we need to be looking out for it does. And happy holidays, by the way. I mean, it's not all <laughs> Great topic. Yeah, happy message. holidays, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, fraud definitely ramps up 
holidays. I mean, it's uh, so, Gail, so often we think about uh, consumer scam warnings during the holidays and um, scams around charitable contributions at the end of the year. Uh, but it's also a fertile time for fraud against businesses. So if you think about it, you're normally uh, your staff is normally shorter during the holidays because of vacations. You've got backups in place, you know, folks that are backing up those those responsibilities, but those employees may not be as familiar with the process as the primary employee. So there are lots of activities and opportunities for distraction. Fraudsters play on that. They they love chaos and, and they love that confusion that may occur in those time periods. It's even more reason to implement internal controls for your business around these around payments and around these this time. You know, I mentioned business email compromise as the number one attack vector. One of the oldest versions of business email compromise is executive impersonation. So it, for CEOs, the fraudsters will impersonate the CEO or the CFO and send a request to the payable department to originate a payment or make a change in a payment. So without proper controls, the payment gets processed and the fraudster gets paid as opposed to payments to the intended beneficiary. Yeah. And I'm guessing from what I've, I was, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just going to add to that from what I've heard, they can really make it sound like the CEO, like their tone, their voice. You know, you mentioned before, sometimes you can tell if something's fishy because it just doesn't sound right. But a lot of times it's so hard to tell because they've learned the style of communication. Exactly. Well, our natural inclination is to do what the boss asks, right? So, so you know, if we get a request from the CEO or CFO to do something, we're going to work pretty hard to make sure that happens uh, as quickly as they have requested it to happen. So, we have to the CEOs, and I think in the C-suite, we have to make sure that we're communicating to our teams that it's okay to verify those requests. Uh, I'm not going to get upset if you call my office and ask me, you really ask me to make this payment and send out this wire. And so uh, I, I think it's important that we ensure that, that communication is open and that teams understand that that's okay. Good. Well, um, so far, we, we have a lot to think about. I was just wondering, you know, since there's so many growing threats, is there any good news in all of this? You know, I like to be the optimist and try to have something positive to share. So is there any good news associated with this topic right now? I, absolutely. And I'm the oh, same, Gail. I, I want to be optimistic also uh, about this also. And, you know, there's just no question that the attack vectors are growing and they're becoming more sophisticated and more difficult to detect. And I, I think... One of the good news is that the fraud industry as a whole has the attention of federal law enforcement at the highest level. So there are prosecutions that are taking place. Um, but, you know, I, I think, Gail, that the real good news, taking advantage of podcasts like this, conversations with trusted partners like your banker, your insurance agent, your attorney, all of those conversations help you become more educated about the threats and are more prepared to avoid becoming a victim. So if, if you have to talk about really good news, it's making yourself more educated and more aware of what's going on and the threats that exist. Good. Well, I know that we're close to wrapping up, so I just wanted to see if there are any final takeaways for people um, to think about. If they'd like do nothing else, what's the most important thing that they need to do? Absolutely. There, there is a payment origination control that we call stop call and confirm that every CEO, every organization should implement. 
you need to train your associates in your company to observe this control. So if you receive a request to original change of payment, stop the process, pick up the phone and call the requester at a number that you know. Don't respond to the email or the text message. Don't call the number in the email or text message, but call them at a number that you know and verify and confirm that that request is legitimate. Gail, I tell you, it's a five minute phone call save you a lot of grief down the road. Okay, good. Well, we're going to amplify that and hope that people can take some action around that point in particular. And I know that there's so much more that you could cover, but um, I so appreciate your bringing this issue to light to our audience. It's something that we haven't talked about um, in depth by any means. So, and it's this time of year, I think it's especially important to... um, to help increase that awareness. So thank you so much for for joining me today. I know you also are including some references for us, right, Um, that you think would be good for people that want to learn more. So did you want to speak to that? They're mainly government sites that we'll be including in the show notes. They are. They they are typically... sites that uh, that we communicate to clients their government websites like ic3.gov uh, fbi.gov there's a, the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency it's called cisa cisa they can help with that framework and building out that uh, that fraud response plan okay awesome well again thank you so much for spending a little time to talk about the topic so um i wish you the happiest holiday season i know you'll be busy given the line of work that you're in <laughs> so uh happy holidays to you jeff and thanks again so much for for being my guest today well same to you gail and thank you again for the opportunity yeah and for everyone else listening in i hope you have a great rest of the week uh, being more fraud aware and doing the work that matters to you Thanks for tuning in. And as always, be sure to share this episode with someone else who might benefit or leave a review. You can join my email list by going to workmatters.com so you don't miss an episode. And there you can learn more about ways we serve mission-driven leaders like you. If there's a challenge you want to discuss, I'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, keep growing as a leader, inspiring change, and doing the work that matters to you.